Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in chapter 8 of the Gospel of Luke, discussing the importance of having ears to hear God's Word and the decrease in the modern attention span. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our Journey in the Word. As Luke tells us, he delivered her from those seven demons. But not only that, he, he, he then welcomes her into fellowship as a part of his traveling entourage as he fulfilled his ministry calling. Now, that to me is the power of grace, right? He doesn't only deliver, he saves and then he brings into fellowship alongside of himself. That is just incredible to me. And then Luke mentions this woman, Joanna. He says that she's the wife of Chusa, who's Herod's steward. Now, that would be the official that looked after the king's financial interests. And this would be a man of upstanding character, and, and he'd be considered trustworthy. And quite frankly, he would be well rewarded for the work that he was doing. So Joanna, you know, and, and this family that she's from, they're not going to be poor. So contrast that now with Mary Magdalene, the background here with her. And, and again, a, a steward was one of the most highly trusted servants in the court of the king. And as such, they were handsomely paid for their work. And also note how far reaching Jesus's ministry is already and how quickly it's developing. As you look at this woman, Joanna, he's reaching people inside of the hierarchy of the nation already. Because her husband, she's the wife of somebody inside, in a key position inside of Herod's court. The gospel's already reached in there because it's reached her. He's reaching people inside the hierarchy of the nation, just like God will also enable Paul to do in his ministry relatively quickly. Because in Philippians 4.22, Paul makes a salutation that tells us how far the gospel had gone in so short a period of time. It says in Philippians 4.22, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The gospel was ready inside of Caesar's household by the time Paul's writing to the Philippians. Never underestimate the far reach of the gospel and the doors that God can open to make that happen. You know, here is where our calling can be when it comes to government. Last week, I talked about what it's not when it comes to government, but here it absolutely can be when it comes to government or to any other institution of this world. While we're not called to be agents of spiritual change in the institutions of this world, we are called to be ambassadors of Christ to people in those institutions as the Lord gives us opportunity. I don't care where you work. You know, what What organization you're a part of, you have the opportunity of being a missionary to that organization, of being there to be a witness for Christ, to reach in and touch the lives of men and women in those places where others may not be able to go. God has placed you there, whether you know it or not. You may have thinking you got the job, but the Lord has placed you there. 
You know, there were a series of events that took me into the military. Part of it was just my dad's death, which just kind of dumbed me down in school because I had a hard time adjusting to it, being so young when he died. And, and, and by the time I took my, my, my ASVABs, the Armed Service Vocational Aptitude, well, I was trying to get into college. And, and that was, I mean, I think I wrote my letter to Penn State asking if they'd consider me. And I think I wrote it in crayon. I mean, it was like, could you let me into your college? That's about the level I was operating at. At, you know, and 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 when I took my ASVABs for the armed services because mom saw how, you know, there was nothing going to happen anywhere else. You just need to go get a job. And right now, that may be the only place that will take you. I remember my recruiter looking at me. The general technical score, the GT score, is the one they really look at. You know, to see what you qualify. The higher that score is, the more opportunities you have. And 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 he looked at me and said, I don't know that I've seen one this low. You know. I always joke at that and say, then they made me an officer on top of that, right? So that tells you something. But no, I mean, it just, the only thing it qualified me for was to be a chaplain's assistant. And he said, we can make you that. Are you a good kid? Yeah, I'm pretty good. You, can you get along with people? Yeah, I can get along with people. Yeah, okay, we'll teach you to shoot a rifle and type on a typewriter so you can be his clerk, typist, and bodyguard. And, and so now I'm a chaplain's assistant, but I come to Christ during that time. I came to Christ during that time, and the Lord, you know, in the process changed everything, and suddenly scores were going up. Suddenly college was not hard, and I was getting A's in night school, you know, and, and making up all the ground that had been lost. But here's the point. One of the things I learned as I was in the military is that this was no accident. The Lord had orchestrated the steps all along, even to the point of dumbing me down to get me in. And so there I am in the military. So what does that say to me? It says to me he had a plan all along for me to be there so then I need to ask him why am I here well like I said last week I wasn't there to change the army but I was there to be a witness to those people that I worked with and I had an opportunity to do that and no matter where I went no matter what assignment I had no matter what 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 unit I was assigned to I was always cognizant of the fact that I was Christ's representative there that I was his ambassador and I would have an opportunity to share the gospel. And, and you know what? It's amazing the doors the Lord opens in the process. The people you get to witness to, the people you get to share Christ with. You know, I often used to coin a term said that oftentimes I saw the Daniel effect happen in my life where I got selected for select schools that they had for officers that there's no reason I should have been selected for other than the Lord opened the door to put me there. And as I got there, then I had an opportunity to share the gospel with, with men and women who were going to rise in the ranks of the military and to share Christ with them. So never underestimate how far you can share the word of God and, and never underestimate the doors that God will open for you quickly to be able to do that. And so here we see Joanna, the, the wife of someone who serves in the halls of power in Israel. And, and we don't know if her husband was a believer. We don't know that. We know she is. And, and we might reasonably conclude that he was because she's traveling with Jesus. And, and what good Jewish man would let his wife go off with some, you know, traveling prophet from their perspective, uh, to participate in ministry as a part of that group unless they believed, unless he believed too. So he may have been a believer, but we don't know that for sure. But what we do know is that she was committed to Jesus because Luke will later tell us in Luke 24 and verse 10 that she was one of the women at the tomb on the morning that Jesus rose. She was one of the first women at the tomb. 
which meant she was probably there during the Passion Week, was likely there at the crucifixion, but she absolutely was there that morning to go out to anoint the body, to find that Jesus had risen. This was a committed woman, a committed follower, who was strategically placed inside of Herod's household. Isn't that amazing? That just blows me away when I think about it. Then there's Susanna. Now, we're not given any details about her at all, but she must have been prominent in the early church and known to Luke's readers, which would explain why he doesn't give any details about her. He almost mentions her like they'd all know who she is. And then finally, Luke notes that there were many others, he says. There were many others who were not just traveling with Jesus, but providing for him from their substance. In other words, they were supporting him financially and helping to meet his needs as he ministered. But but here's the point. Do you, do you get the picture in regard to how diverse a group of women this was? And the role that they were playing in Jesus' ministry, I like the way Barclay sums it up. He said, it is an amazing thing to find Mary Magdalene with the dark past and Joanna, the lady of the court, in all in one company, <laughs> right? All in one company together. And yeah, that's exactly what Jesus has done for, for women and for men. He's done this all the way around, and, and for all of us, through the new covenant. This is what he's done. It's no longer about whether we're male or female or whether we possess the right spiritual pedigree or the right family lineage or the right color of skin, nor does it matter what our past life was like. Jesus simply welcomes all of us to come with him, and, and as we choose to do this, he makes us one in himself. That's what he does. It's Galatians 3, 27 through 29, as I just read, right? For as many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What an awesome truth that really is for all of us. Well, look on this morning as Jesus continues now. He's going to go into this work that he's doing. And verse 4 tells us, And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. So Jesus now moves about the countryside with this entourage of disciples and apostles who are with him, and he stops, and he begins to teach this growing crowd that is gathering to him. And, and, and they're coming from cities throughout the region, and we know elsewhere that we were told that they're coming even from far away to hear Jesus. Jesus' reputation is growing, and he was attracting a lot of attention from people as he traveled about. But Luke tells us that on this occasion, he shares a parable with them. And in fact, we're going to see a series of parables that he will now begin to share after this one. But I've briefly talked about parables, I think, this summer when we were outside, and, and I'd shared a little bit about that. But I want to deal a little bit more deeply with that topic this morning. You know, the, the word parable in the Greek is the word parabole, parabole, and, and broken down its grammatical components, it means para, means to come alongside of. We see that Greek word used in relation to the Holy Spirit. You know, he is the paraclete, the one who comes alongside of the helper to help us. So here the word para means alongside, bole means casting or placing. So literally, the idea that's expressed by parable is the placing or casting of one thing alongside of another. The placing or casting of one thing alongside of another. In this sense, I like to liken the parables to fishing bait. 
right? Because that's what they're like. And that idea does help give us a good picture of what the parables were about. You see, parables, especially as Jesus used them, were intended to be a form of bait of sorts. They were spiritual bait in the form of stories that Jesus would kind of cast out there alongside of the listeners. And, and, and they were stories that, that contained spiritual truth. And, and yet it was truth that wasn't immediately apparent. It was at times cryptic, encoded spiritual truth, if you will. It could be understood. And yet at the same time, it just, the stories are simple and yet can be easily missed what's being said, but but they served as bait because of the way that Jesus used them, casting them alongside of people in order to, to see whose attention it would draw, and, and ultimately who would bite and be caught by it as he cast it out there. You see, there were two specific purposes to Jesus' use of the parables. First and foremost, he used them to test the hearts of those that he was speaking to. He used them to test the hearts of those that he was speaking to, using them as bait to see if there was any genuine spiritual hunger in his listeners, any sincere and and genuine interest in the spiritual truths that he was trying to communicate to them. In that sense, when you think about it, it really is a lot like bait, right? Spiritual bait that Jesus used to reveal whether the fish, the human fish, I always refer to this because Jesus told Peter, what, I'm going to make you fisher of men. Right, So it's not a wrong illustration here, but to see whether or not the human fish was hungry or not. It's a reality that not every fish, fishermen know this, right? I think your kids were here when we talked about it the one time, and you were late into the story on fishing, right? Not all fish are hungry. You know, I, I, I hate fishing for trout for that reason. Trout, I think, are some of the most finicky fish that are out there. You can cast the bait right alongside or right in front of them. You can dangle it in front of a trout, and he'll just sit there and go and look at it and not bite. They might swim over to see what's going on, but they won't bite on it. And no, it doesn't matter how close you get that bait, no matter how appetizing, you can put the most succulent, you know, worm on that hook or corn or whatever else you're using, you know, salmon eggs, the big bright ones. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Sometimes the fish don't bite. And that's what people can be like. People can be like that too, regardless of how close you cast the bait to them and sharing truth with them, or no matter how appealing that bait might seem, like trout, some people simply are not hungry enough or interested enough to bite. Some lack of appetite is a result of all the sinful stuff that they've already filled themselves with, right? They got no room for anything else. All the things that they're feeding on has given them a, a, a sense of fullness and deadened their appetite for the spiritually healthy things that they really need to feed on. You know, Paul talks about that in Romans 1. Romans 1, beginning in verse 18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, in a sense, all of creation is bait, (laughs) 
all of creation is bait. You know, when Paul says it reveals God, it doesn't mean it reveals everything about God. It doesn't mean it reveals the, the path of salvation that God has laid out there. But, but it's bait to let you know that God exists, that he's very real. You know, I remember when we were out, and you can't see that here. I mean, I don't know how many of you guys tried to go out and see the alignment of the planets so you could see the, 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 what it would look like the star, right? The star, it wasn't the star of Bethlehem, okay? But to look like that, and, and we had a hard time seeing it. I mean, it, it, even on a clear night, it just, you couldn't see it real well because there's so much light here and everything else. It just kind of illuminates the sky and makes it hard. But I remember when we went out to Yellowstone, and if you've ever been out to that part of the country where there is just is no lights, there's nothing but wilderness and darkness, and you looked up into the sky, man, you could look like you were, it was like the, the Milky Way was on 3D. And as you looked into the sky and I saw that, I think it was, I mean, it's not that I haven't looked at creation and seen God's hand in it all before, but as I stood there, I was just dumbstruck. There's no way this happened by chance. Look at the creation of this. Look at all of it, you know? And, and that's how it is. It's bait. It's designed to be bait for human beings to look at, to see, and to, to get a sense that there's something more here. But, but then Paul goes on in verse 22 of Romans 1. He says, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled, being filled, filling themselves up, right? Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Wow, that's a long passage, but you get the sense here. What he's saying is here is all the, the, the bait is in front of us all the time, but there's no interest. Why not? Because men and women are full on other stuff. They're full on the things that they're trading God for in their own lives and filling their lives with. With this crowd, they're simply too full to bite, full on all of this other stuff, you see, instead of what God is offering to them. Now, with others, the lack of appetite is simply the result of dulled senses. Dulled senses caused by their own sinfully self-determined views of spirituality in many cases, Right. Jesus spoke specifically to that group of people in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 15. And he's again going to allude to this same group here in verse 10. But he says in, in Matthew 13, 15, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. 
Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Listen, folks, it is a reality that there are simply people in this world who, through their own self-developed views of spirituality, have dulled their own senses, dulled their own appetites, quenched their own hunger for real spiritual truth. You can cast appetizing bait, appetizing bait alongside of them all day long, but like the trout, that's all they're going to do, you know? Look at it, stare at it. They might look at it, they might even examine it, but they simply will not bite. I've met people like this. You have too. But boy, I'll tell you, the time it was most pronounced was when we used to be in Greencastle on the main street. We did a lot there on the main street, but at Christmas time, you know, when they do the Heritage Christmas, uh, we, we would go downtown. And what we would do is the one year we were distributing Bibles and, and asking people how we could pray for them, right? And that seems simple enough. Didn't know what reaction we'd get, but it seems simple enough. And we just prayed that, you know, if the Lord wanted, given us an opportunity, we get to share the gospel with somebody. It was amazing to me how many people were so full of their own spirituality to the point where they look and say, you know, I got tons of Bibles on my shelf. I don't need one. Okay. Now I don't need anybody to pray for me. Really? Yeah. God knows my needs. I, I talk to him all the time. Okay. No problem. You know, but I'm thinking to myself, full, 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 full to the people who used to tell me that I got, I have lots of Bibles. My response to them was, oh, do you read them? You know, and they didn't, they didn't like that. That was not, that was, that was seen as a caustic response. I had to watch that. But, but again, just so many people just so full of their own ideas, so full of their own spirituality and, and that they're not going to bite. And so Jesus used the parables as bait to see who would be hungry enough. To, and interest enough to, to take the bait and bite. Now, secondly, he used parables to teach deeper spiritual truth to those who did reveal some level of appetite and who did latch on to the bait. And, and we're going to see him do that here in this passage with, with a number of folks who are going to raise a question that will give him the opportunity to do it that will show that they've bitten into the bait, that they've bought into it and, and want to know more. Well, look on. He says in verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down. And, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him here. So now Jesus gives this parable, and I'm going to take this in reverse, okay? I'm going to, I'm going to begin talking about what he finished with as he shared this, where he says here, those who have ears to hear, let him hear. I, I, although he says it at the end, I think it's important for us to understand as we look at this, what he's saying. You know, Jesus used this statement a lot as he shared with people, and it's rich with meaning. You know, in an overall sense, he's saying, listen up, Pay, 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 pay close attention here. St stop, stop and think about what it is that I'm saying to you. Stop and think. And yet he's implying a whole lot more than just hearing with the ears. He's, he's calling on his listeners to hear with spiritual desire. To hear with spiritual desire and with spiritual sensitivity to what it is that he's communicating to them. 
You know, the closest I can come to this is my wife looking at me sometimes. And when I'm, she's telling me something going, uh uh-huh, 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 and she'll go, no, 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 stop. Listen to what I'm saying to you. You know, and guys, you ever had your wife say that to you? <laughs> See some snickers going on, right? Yeah. What she's saying to me is you, you, you're hearing my words, but, but you're not hearing my intent. You're not hearing what it is that I'm really communicating to you. And I want you to hear that. That's the closest we can think about when Jesus is saying this, except he's even taking it deeper. He's talking about the heart. Listen with your heart to what I'm saying. You know, years ago, I listened to uh, John Corson. You may know him. He's a, a Calvary pastor of old out in Oregon. But John Corson, I listened to a teaching he expounded on this passage. And in his discussion, he cited a quote from a study produced by the Rand Corporation. I, I was familiar with the Rand Corporation. It kind of caught my ear because Rand did a lot of their think tank. And they do a lot of studies for corporations, but they do a lot of studies for the government. And so we had them do a lot of studies for the military when I worked in the Pentagon. But he noted that Rand concluded a major study of corporate America that over $10 billion per day. Now, now, please understand, this is when I heard this teaching that he gave on this and making this reference, this was back in the early 2000s. So this number may have grown by now. But he said at the time it was $10 billion per day are lost by major corporate America in, in major companies in America because people simply fail to listen. They fail to listen. And as a result of their failure to listen, there's redundancy, there's inefficiency, there's unnecessary waste, there's accidents, there's lost materials, all kinds of stuff, all of which adds up to significant financial loss. Yet all of it caused by people simply failing to actively listen to what it is that they're being told. But but it doesn't take a RAND study to reveal this weakness with people. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.